Praise my Lord. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 9. book of Acts chapter 9 and we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. The book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And verse 3 says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. That is truth, God. We thank you for your revelation unto our lives. And Spirit of God, today we just ask you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying unto your church. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us not to be hearers alone of your word, but doers as well, my God. Father, I pray that you would use me in these next few moments, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that your name would be glorified, and I give you all praise and all glory for this opportunity to share your truth with these, your people. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so this morning, I wanted to encourage you, and um, I wanted to say thank you. I normally send out emails, and I, I don't know if I sent an email out this week. This week was a little crazy for me, but... I'd like to encourage you and let you know that last week, the attendance in here in, in its entirety with children was 254 people. Come on and give God a hand of praise. We like more than doubled in one week, glory to God. So that was, that was awesome. And I see a lot of, a, a lot, a lot, they're, they're, they're hot, not, there's a lot of people in here today too, but glory to God. We're about to go to a second service pretty soon. So that's exciting, amen. That's something we can rejoice in, that God is doing some good stuff. Um, but I just wanted to, I, I wanted to take that moment to give you that praise report because I want you to realize, and, and I did send out, you know, I think I did send out the email saying that your labor is not in vain, or I put, I put it on Facebook for sure. But I want you to know that if you just get intentional about inviting people to the house of the Lord, we'll, we'll be able to see people coming to know Jesus, which is the most important thing, right? Not just having more numbers in the house, but seeing people come to Christ. Another thing that I want to share with you is remember this. When you hear the gospel preached, I try to make sure that I present the gospel clearly every week. But when you hear the gospel preached and someone doesn't respond right away, because I know what happens. We bring people in here and you guys are obedient. Amen to that. Glory to God. 
You said, you know what? We're focusing on people who don't know Jesus. We don't want to just get people to come from other churches. I praise the Lord for that. And then what happens is you see that person come in, and then they don't respond. They don't raise their hand. They don't come to the front. And you're like, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong. Amen? Hallelujah. What it is, they heard the message. Not everybody responds the first time. I've said this before. It usually takes, on average, about seven times for someone to hear the gospel before they respond in an affirmative way. But here's, the, here's what I want to tell you. Do not leave the pressure on the preacher alone to lead your friend to Jesus. This is so important because what we do, you know, um, Paul, Paul is speaking and, and, and he's telling the church, you know, they're having these disputes, you know, well, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter and I'm of Jesus and I'm of Paul. And he's like, listen, man, there is one that sows, there is one that waters, but God is the one that gives the growth. Here is the point. The point is that we don't know which part our job is. We may be the one that's sowing. We may be the one that's watering. But here's the point, that you can be sure to sit down and have conversation with your friend, um, Mar Marisol, she was she, they, 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 um, Marisol and Angel, they brought a, a friend to church, and, she, and I, I, was, I was very blessed by this. And the friend was like, you know, I never really understood why Jesus died. Now listen, you think, you know, we assume, well, I know why Jesus died. That's why, listen, that is the reason why I share the gospel every week. I don't want you to forget why Jesus died. I want you to remember he died for sin. And so what happens is not everybody understands why Jesus died. That's why you got to give the bad news so that way people understand. He died because you are a sinner. He didn't just die because. The point is that opens up opportunity for you to have conversations. So what we're going to do actually to help you with this process is we are going to print out the, the CDs from last week's message because it was a pretty clear gospel presentation. And we're going to give one to each of you. And that way you can go out and you can give it to your friend that you might have invited or someone who you wanted to invite. But make sure that after they listen to it that you follow up with them. You have some conversations. Ask them some questions. Make sure that they know because sometimes they miss it. You know, people's minds wander. Amen. You know, everybody's not like laser focused the whole time the preaching is going on. Sometimes they're looking at you, but they're not. Amen. Glory to God. You know how that moment is? You know, you're like someone bump you, be like, hello, you're back with us, right? You know, you went and you were there. And so it happens. And you may miss that moment where I'm talking about the way you respond to the gospel is you put faith in Jesus. You turn from your sin. You trust him as Lord and Savior. People may miss that. And you have the great opportunity because of relationship to follow up with them and make sure that you do communicate and help them. Amen. And this journey with Jesus. And so we're in the book of Acts chapter 9. And as we're going through the book of Acts, we're continuing to see the gospel. This morning, the title of the message is Gospel Possibilities. Say Gospel Possibilities. And what I want you to realize is that there is, in this chapter, there are some amazing things that happen and communicate to us and are there to encourage us and let us know that there are some situations that we see in our lives that we may be going through and those things seem impossible. Say impossible. But God has given us a hope in the resurrection. Remember, that's what we were talking about last Sunday. And we were dealing with why, you know, what's the big deal about Easter? And it is the resurrection of Jesus. It is that resurrection that gives us this great hope because the resurrection in and of itself is something that is impossible. It's something that cannot happen unless there is divine intervention, unless there is something supernatural that occurs. And so what we see in chapter 9 is we see a continuation in the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. We can look at it together. It says, then Saul, still breathing, stay still breathing. still breathing, 
which is saying that from the last chapter when Saul was, was hateful toward the church, and you remember in chapter 7 when they were stoning Stephen, they took their clothes and they put them where? They put them at the feet of this young man by the name of Saul, and Saul was saying, hey man, y'all go on ahead and stone him, and even though he was young, he was someone who was well-versed in the laws of God, he was someone who was very zealous and very passionate, but he didn't have the understanding that Jesus had resurrected, and even though he had all of these things that he knew, all of this religious information that he had, even though he had all of this devotion and he was trying to be holy and be righteous, he was still blinded to the truth that Jesus had risen and that he was the Messiah that he was waiting for. He didn't realize that. And because of that, he had this venom and this hatred in his heart. And what he does here is it says that he's still breathing threats. And so you remember we talked about how he, what he did to the churches and how it gave the picture of a, of a rabid animal, an animal that was trying to tear up and destroy the church. And so it's giving you a picture. It's like an animal running after his prey. You know that dog? You, you, you ever watch like, you know, the, the animal planet or something like that? And you see like they'll show this cheetah that is just rolling. Woo. Right? And he's getting it. And then this little gazelle is just like boom. And the cheetah, you know, you see the cheetah's tail rolling like this, right? Well, that cheetah can sprint for a little bit, but after a while, he's like, all right, I'm done. That thing is gone, right? Sometimes the gazelle gets away. Not all the time, but sometimes he bounced enough and he got, you know, enough rights and lefts on him. And the cheetah couldn't catch. And the cheetah is breathing, huffing, and puffing. And so what's happening here is Paul is like that, except he's not losing momentum. He's gaining momentum. He is like, I want to do everything I can. So he goes to the chief priest, the scripture said, and then he gets these, these letters. And what he, what, he, what he is getting is he's getting permission. He's getting permission to go and be like in this building. This is the permission he was getting. He was getting permission to come into this building, listen to us talk, and have conversation. And then at the end of everything, he'll be able to say, you know what? You're a believer in Jesus, so you know what? You're coming with me. I'm taking you to jail. That's what he was getting permission to do. And so he's on his way to Damascus. He is ready to bring destruction. He is ready to, you know, to do his best to silence the church. He's done everything he can to get them out of Jerusalem. Now he's trying to move into the further place as the gospel is moving forward, and he wants to stop them. And here is what happens is when we are a community of people that are devoted to the gospel, when we are a community of people who are devoted to the gospel, not just in pretense, not just we say, I'm devoted to the gospel, but I am devoted to knowing what the gospel communicates. I am devoted to knowing what God desires for my life. I am devoted to knowing and walking with Jesus. And not just that, I'm devoted to sharing the gospel verbally with others. That's what it means to be committed to the gospel. And when we are a community as the church was here in the book of Acts that is devoted to the gospel, God begins to rise up. And the reason is because no one, say no one, is as devoted to the gospel as Jesus himself. No one is as devoted to the gospel as Jesus himself. He is the gospel. And what happens here is we see that Paul is on his way. He's got all the legal authority to continue to wreak havoc within the churches. And he has this amazing encounter with who? Jesus. Because Jesus is like, hold on a second. You're trying to stop the furtherance of the gospel. I need to stop you and not just stop you, but I'm going to use you for my glory. And so what happens is this community is devoted to the gospel, but Jesus is more devoted to the gospel, to its perfection and its manifestation. The reason why the gospel is so important is because the gospel is the declaration of God's glory to all mankind. And God has entrusted us, the church, with that message. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. And it must be, it must become, and it must remain the center of our lives. 
The gospel is the glorious revelation of God's will and God's plan for humanity. It is the message that we have of hope to all of those who don't know Jesus. It is the message that we have to bring deliverance to any situation. It is the gospel that gives us hope in all of our impossibilities. When we look at the gospel, we know that we see the resurrection of Jesus. And the reality of the resurrection makes all things possible. When we look at the resurrection, this is why we should be excited about the resurrection of Jesus. And when I say excited, I don't necessarily mean vocal all the time. What I mean is in our hearts that we are stirred because the truth is Jesus is alive and he is risen. And therefore, no matter what I am facing, no matter how impossible a thing may seem, I know that I know that I know that if God could raise up his son from the dead, my situation is no greater than that. And in the resurrection, there is hope for my situation, my life, and my circumstance. And if I will put my faith in what the gospel communicates, then I walk with a hope that other people don't have. I walk. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to get depressed once in a while. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to get discouraged once in a while. It doesn't mean that tears are not going to flow from my face that are not tears of joy. It doesn't mean that questions are not going to rise in my head. But what it does mean is that at the end of all of the questioning, at the end of all of the tears, I come to the point where I recognize Jesus is alive. There's hope for my life. That is what the resurrection allows for us, and that's the reason why we're talking about gospel possibility. The first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, what is impossible for us is an opportunity for God to show his glory. That is the first point this morning. What is impossible for us is an opportunity for God to show forth his glory. There are three supernatural occurrences that are recorded in chapter 9, and they are for our encouragement and our admonishment. The first one is this. Look at chapters 1 through, 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 through 9, or, or chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. We're going to read those together. We've read the first part. We're just going to read it again. We'll stop and pause in a couple of places. But the first thing that is supernatural, seemingly impossible, if you would have had a conversation with Paul, let's, let's put this in context. If you were to have a conversation with Paul and you were to ask him, what do you think about these Christians? What do you think about this Jesus? He'll be like, there is no way that this guy that is dead and buried is my Messiah. There is no way. These people are lying on God. These people are not communicating the truth. He had a hate and a vengeance. And listen, he wasn't a dumb guy. And this is, the reason why this is so important is because there are some people that are really, you know, and I'm not going to say they're easy to convince, but they're easier to convince than others. Right? They haven't really studied a whole bunch of stuff. They don't really know a whole lot of, you know, of, of whatever it is that they think they know. You know, they're more or less regurgitating things they heard other people say. When you sit down with them and you have a conversation with them and you begin to ask them questions and make them see, here's the key. Let, 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 let me give you one of the greatest keys to effective evangelism. Don't be the one answering all the questions. Learn how to ask good questions. Learn how to ask people, why do you believe that? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe that Jesus is not God? Why, why, why do you believe that you could save yourself? What, what, what makes you think that? Because when you get them to think about what they believe, then it's like, wait a second, do I really know what I'm talking about? Why, and, and, and all of a sudden, see, because Christians, we're, we're like notorious for just, you know, boom, I got to give you this answer. Boom, I got to give you that answer. Wait a second. Let them answer some questions. Let them talk about their beliefs. And what you're going to find is that a lot of people, haven't really studied about the most important topic of all, who God is. They have not really studied about the most important topic, which is eternity. 
And what happens is you have those conversations, you learn to ask good questions, and you'll find that some people, after you've had some conversation and they realize that they really don't know what they're talking about, guess what's going to happen? They're going to begin to want to listen to your answers. They're going to want to begin to hear what you have to say. But then there are other people. And you're going to ask them questions, and they're going to have answers, and they're going to quote references and books, and they're going to, they're going to bring it to you. And, that, and those are the kind of people that you got to say, okay, well, bless God, because you know what? Here's the thing. This, this is the thing, my brothers and sisters. You do not have to have all the answers. That's another issue. We think we have to have all the answers. Some people, look, it's not about arguing intellect. That's not it. It's not about having, being smarter than this guy. That, that, that is not it. But here's the thing. A guy like Paul, he knew his stuff. He knew the Old Testament back and forth. He knew the prophecies about the Messiah to come. He knew all of these things. He wasn't just some guy that was just going to be like, well, you want to ask him a question, he's not going to know the answer. He knew the answers. He had every answer that you could ask for. That's why he was so vehement. He was so angered by this proclamation of, of, of to him, a different or foreign God. He was so upset about that. And so this is an impossible situation unless God intervenes. This is an impossible scenario unless God intervenes. And so Paul, the Bible says that Saul, he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now time out for a moment. This is very important. For those of you men that were reading the book with us, we understood something that God was communicating here. When Jesus is communicating to Saul, he says something. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming again? Listen, you can't separate. This is the reason why community and the body of Christ is so important because you can't separate Jesus from his people. Are you hearing me? You, cannot you can't just say, well, I love Jesus, can't stand his people. You need to repent. <laughs> Jesus is, is, is amazing, his people, not so much. You can't, you, you listen, and, and, and you may have that attitude because, you know, sometimes Jesus people don't act like Jesus people. Hello. Um, I'm saying it's true. You know, sometimes we have our fleshly moments. We have those times that we act, you, you know, carnal. We're not acting as loving. We're not communicating the way we should. All right, we fall short. But here is the thing. Jesus, in spite of all of us falling short, guess what he says? Why are you persecuting me? The attacks that were happening, and here's what you and I have to understand. This is why this is so encouraging, is that whenever we are being attacked because of the gospel, we cannot take it personally as though it is because of us, but what we do is we rejoice because it is an attack against Jesus. We rejoice because it's not just that they don't like you. They don't like the Savior you represent. Oh, glory to God. We, 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 we can be excited about that, and we can rest in that. That Jesus says, look, they're attacking me. Let me walk with you through this. He goes on. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul goes and says, he says, who are you, Lord? He didn't, know, he didn't know who was talking to him. He got knocked off of his proverbial high horse, right? He's walking or whatever, and then he's on the ground. This glorious light shines around him, knocks him to the ground. He's on the ground, and he's like, who are you? 
I just know that whatever just happened is glorious, something beyond what I can understand. He says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, again, whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. It's amazing because I was reading, as I was studying, I was preparing for this. I said, you know, isn't that like some people around us? They hear a voice, but they don't recognize the Lord. They hear us communicating to them about Jesus. They hear us communicating that Jesus is the hope. And we're like, why are they not turning? They, they're, they're not seeing the Lord that we are. We need to pray that their eyes become open. It goes on to say in verse 8, it says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Hallelujah. Immediately gets saved. Dude goes into fasting and prayer. Hallelujah. Verse 10 says this. It says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. So while God is over here knocking Paul off of his high horse, positioning him in order to be able to be used by him, there's another disciple by the name of Ananias that we don't know much about him except I think in like chapter 22 later on in the book of Acts, it tells us that he was a man who was very devout. And that's all we know about him. We know that obviously God is not just speaking and directing anyone, especially for this particular job. It says, now, this, now there was a certain man, a certain disciple uh, at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias responded. He answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your, on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples of Damascus. So the first impossible situation, so impossible that Ananias could not believe that God was communicating to him saying, hey, I want you to go minister to this guy. And that's what happens to us sometimes, especially with those people that are impossible. We start to write them off. That's what we do. We write them off like, man, I'm not going to have another conversation with him. And God is like, go talk to him. Go show him some love. No, no, no. I already have, you know, people communicate. I mean, I have conversations all the time. You know, Bishop, I've tried to talk to this person. And I'm like, well, show him love. You know, do whatever. And what happens is we will write them off. But can I tell you something? God wants to take those impossible people and use them to do amazing things. He wants to take those impossible people. See, I don't know about you because I know some of you were like, you know, raised in church all your life and you've been good and everything. But me, not so much. I was one of those impossible people that nobody had hope for. They were like, this guy, boy, he's going to jail. He's going to be dead. There's something wrong with him. 
He is not coming to Jesus. And Jesus, I'm straight up, Jesus, I encountered him in an amazing way. He transformed my life, and I'm able to be used by him for his glory and for his honor. But you know how many people wrote me off? Listen, I'll tell you something, and this is only something because, you know, and, and, and I want to say this not because I want to pick on anyone, but I want to say this because it is so important that you understand that no matter what the person looks like on the outside, there could be something totally else going on on the inside. I used to come to church. Now, 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 this is bad. I am not condoning what I'm about to say. All right? I used to come to church high, right? My mom would trick me to come to church. So I would come to church, you know, and I would, I would you know, get high before I came to church, sit in the pew, couldn't wait for the preaching to be over. So I'd go outside, smoke a cigarette, and, you know, revitalize whatever was going on, what might have died while I was in the service. That was my mindset. Get up, walk outside. Somehow, I would end up back inside the sanctuary before everybody would walk out of the building. And I can tell you something. I don't know if this was intentional or not, because I can't, I, can't, I can't say that. I never asked the question. But what I know is I used to watch everyone else get a handshake from the leader of the church, except me. And the only reason why I noticed is because I, w- I wanted him to shake my hand. Like, just shake my hand. Just, just notice me. And you know what I realized, though? There was no handshake. He's like, man, I, I see what's, on, what's going on with you, man. And if I come shaking your hand and all, you know, cool with you and everything, other people might think that that's okay. Here is the point. I'm assuming all that because I don't know what he was thinking. He probably was you know, talking to someone else or whatever. But here is the thing. When you see those impossible cases that are walking in next to you, and they may look like they did some before they came to church. They probably did. Hello, somebody. Don't shun them. Love them. Because when you, when you love on them, then the Holy Ghost starts to convict them. And they start to feel like, because I, I did it to someone, because I know that they did something before they came to church. That, that person's not here right now. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> that person, they, I, I know, because I know I used to do it. So I'm, you know, sitting there in worship, and I saw, and I was like, well, I'm going to hug them. And they were like, as soon as I went to grab their hand, they were like, oh, they were trying to walk away from me, glory to God. <laughs> Conviction of the Holy Ghost is coming on. They, they, they don't want to look you in the eyes because of certain things. But here is the point. Love those impossible people. And when they come to Jesus, right, when they come to Jesus, don't be afraid. Like, go and embrace them. Love on them. Be like, glory to God. Because God, don't remember them by, hey, well, this person was. Don't forget about what they was. What are they today? What has Jesus done in them? That's what happens to us is we, we, we forget what Jesus brought us from because, you know, we get all cleaned up. We talk a little different, walk a little different, and we forget all this stuff. Here's the thing. Jesus saves us, and we got to have that same mindset. Why? Because God wants to work miracles, but like Ananias, some of us are not ready for those miracles. Are you hearing me? Some of us are not ready for God to save those impossible cases because we don't know how to act. Hello, somebody. So the first miracle that we see is the salvation of Saul. The second thing we see is the healing of of, of, of Aeneas. If you look at verse 32, it says this. It says, now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Leda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So the first miracle that we see is we see the salvation of Saul. The second miracle that we see is we see Aeneas, this guy who had been paralyzed for eight years. He was bedridden. No, we don't know anything else about him. All that we know is that for eight years, he couldn't move. He couldn't do it on his own. 
And Peter comes in the power of the Holy Ghost, and he goes up to him in full faith, and he says, rise, fix your bed. And the guy gets up immediately, and there is a powerful move of the Spirit. And so you know what? Some of us facing impossible situations. Some of us see impossibility. But my question is, where is our faith in the power of Jesus and the gospel? Listen, I, when, when, when I share with people and I, and, and I talk to them, it is not, and, and, and I say this, the first thing that we should do is we should believe God for the impossible. Amen? Amen. We should trust God that he is Jehovah Rapha. He not, he, it's not that he was Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Hallelujah. We should believe him for healing. And then I encourage people who may be going through hardship. Our sister Michelle, she believed God to be Jehovah Rapha, and God chose not to heal her at that moment and chose to walk her through one of the most difficult situations in her life. But glory be to God. God was still glorified in the situation because of what? Because she brought glory to him. And so here is the thing. We need to believe God for those impossible things to happen. He's still able. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's what the Bible says, right? That's what it says about Jesus. And so we see the first one, Saul gets saved. Impossible. Aeneas sitting down for eight years, couldn't do anything. And God brings Peter into the situation. The third one is the resurrection of Tabitha or Dorcas. Look down at verse 36. It says, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. <clears throat> but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lita was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. I love that. You see what he did? He walks into a room, and people are just, they, they, wrote, they wrote her off. They're like, she's gone. She's done. Look, look, look what she made for me. He's like, hold on a second. Y'all got to leave this room. Y'all got to leave this room because what? Because you don't have the faith to be in this room right now. That's what he was saying. He's saying, I don't need, you see, when Jesus, he, all he was doing was mimicking Jesus. When Jesus went, he, he went into a room. There was people that were crying. And see, in those days, this didn't happen yet because it, it was too quick for that to have occurred. But in those days, they used to pay people to cry with you. When some, yeah, seriously. When someone would die, they would pay people because they wanted, you know, mourn with those people. So they would bring people around, and they were paid to cry. And, and Jesus was like, get, get those people out of here. When Lazarus was dead, right, he was like, man, I, I, I don't even want to do it. I don't want He goes to the grave. He calls Lazarus forth. And so Peter goes. He's like, you know what? He said, you know, hold on. Y'all got to get out of the room. Everybody gets out of the room, and Peter goes on ahead. He prays for this woman, and the Bible says that she gets up. So he goes on in verse 40. It says, but Peter put them all out, knelt down, and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her a hand and lifted her up, and when, he called the, and, and, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. The first thing is the salvation of Saul. The second thing is the healing of Aeneas. The, the third thing is the resurrection of Tabitha or Dorcas. Each of those situations needed a miracle, and God, to confirm the, the resurrection reality of Jesus, he divinely intervenes. He steps into the situation, and here is what I want you to be encouraged by, that there is nothing impossible for God, and when you and I fully grasp the gospel, we will learn to trust God even in the face of impossibilities. 
Even in the face of impossible situations, we will learn to trust him because we understand the declarations of the gospel. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must recognize the greater purpose of every miracle. In these miracles, we find a greater purpose. We find a greater purpose in all of these miracles. It wasn't just to knock Saul off of his high horse. It wasn't just to save Saul. It wasn't just to heal Aeneas. It wasn't just to bring resurrection to Dorcas. That wasn't the end of the miracle. See, what happens to us is we just want this miracle in our life so bad, we forget about the greater purpose and God moving and manifesting of power. It's not just for you. It's not just for me, but it is for his glory and for his honor. And I want you to notice what happens in every one of these situations. If you look at verse 35 in the situation with Aeneas, it says this, So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him, the man who was, who was, who was sick for those eight years and bedridden, and they turned to the Lord. So hold on a second. Why does God walk into this city and turn this man's life upside down? Because he is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. He is a witness to the resurrection of the Savior, of the healer. And guess what? People are going to come to know him as a result of this, as a result of this miracle. Because it's not just a miracle. Remember, it's the message of the gospel. This is a community that is always communicated. Peter, you know, whenever he does a miracle, he does what? He gives all glory to Jesus. He gives all glory to Jesus. And so while it's not recorded that he preached the message here, what he did communicate very clearly is he said it, Jesus the Christ heals you. He said, it is not me, it is not my power, it is not my ability, but it is Jesus who is bringing healing to your body. When you go down to this next thing, this, this resurrection in verse 42, it says this, it says, and it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Everybody was hearing about this miracle that occurred. And you know what? When we think about these miracles that God does in our days, whether it's healing someone physically, whether it's healing someone emotionally, whether it's restoring someone's marriage, here's the most important thing that needs to happen. We need to make sure we're pointing to Jesus. We need to make sure that we are pointing people to Jesus because we are not living just for this life. We are living for the life to come. And the last one, and I brought you to the last one, and it's actually the first one that we see here. We find it in verse 31, and it is Saul's conversion. Verse 31 says this. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. See, when I look at Saul's life, we, you know, I, I, li I like the way that one commentator does this. He, he, he goes and he says, the healing of Ananias, that is a great miracle. He said, the resurrection of Dorcas, that is a greater miracle. And then he says, the salvation of a soul, the greatest miracle. And he said, the salvation of a soul is the greatest miracle because when my life was turned around, I couldn't wait to tell other people about it. And the beauty of it was, is that anybody that I was going to tell initially, guess what? They all knew me yesterday, glory to God. They all saw how I was living yesterday. I told you all the testimony. I didn't think there was anything wrong with smoking weed the day after I got saved. I called him my friend. I was like, hey, man, I need you to take me to Sanford so I can go buy a bag of weed. He was like, all right, so we're going on our way to Sanford. You know what I did all the way to Sanford? I told him about how I met Jesus the night before. Now, listen to me. 
That sounds crazy. It is crazy. But here's the point. I didn't know any better. I drove all the way to Sanford, talked about Jesus, picked up the bag of weed, drove all the way back from Sanford. We didn't smoke anything on the way. Drove all the way back from Sanford, talked to him about Jesus. When we get back, when we get back to my house, you know what he says to me? He didn't say, I want to go inside and smoke with you. He said, man, I need to get back in the church. Now listen, I was doing something in ignorance. That was Saturday. Sunday, I went to church. I don't even know if the pastor said anything about smoking. All I knew is it was wrong. After Sunday, I knew it was wrong. Came home, dumped it out. It was a wrap. I was good. I wasn't driving to Sanford talking to people about Jesus anymore. Here is the point. The point. Well, not, I wasn't going to Sanford to buy something anyway. I, you know. But here is the thing. The point is... When I testified about what Jesus had done, this guy saw it. When I talked to anyone else, they knew who Jason was. And my life was a living testimony of the resurrection power of Jesus. And it becomes the same thing. Listen, you may be like, well, I don't have that kind of testimony. Listen, is God preserving you? Because if God, if, if you haven't lived that life, you haven't sinned like that, guess what? It's because God has been keeping you. That's a testimony to his power. Because either or, save and deliver or keep someone, they're both equally glorious because it is all about what Jesus has done. He's kept me, he's kept some of you from experiencing those heartaches, those difficulties, those situations. Glory to God for that. You have a testimony just like I do. It's just a little bit different. But it points to the same Savior. It points to the same God. And that is the point of all the miracles that God works. The greater purpose is this, is that people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. When I look at Saul's conversion, it results in the greatest kingdom advancement to date. Why do I say that? Because today we still preach from the same scriptures he wrote almost 2,000 years ago. He is still the way that Joppa was rocked because of Dorcas's, you know, resurrection. The way that, you know, um, the, the other places were rocked because of the preaching. We are still all over the world being rocked because of the gospel-centered message that Paul was preaching. And so he goes, gets saved. And I love this because the one, the, the one thing that I, as I was reading, one of the writers, he said, he, he was like, you know, we don't know much about, much about Ananias. All we know is that he went, he was the one that prayed for Paul. And he said, and we should never underestimate how God will use us to minister to one soul. We should never underestimate how God will use us to minister to one soul. Because here's what happens. What happens to, is he, he, gives, he gave an analogy. He said Dwight L. Moody, he was one of the greatest evangelists in, in, in the world in his time. One of the greatest evangelists. You know where he met Jesus? He met Jesus in his Sunday school class. His Sunday school teacher led him to Christ. One guy led this little boy to Jesus. He didn't realize who Dwight L. Moody was going to be. He was just faithful to communicate the gospel. He was faithful to share the gospel. Listen, we don't need huge pulpits. What we need is to be faithful with the gospel and let God utilize us how he desires to utilize us. It's vital that we recognize, hear, hear this, that the situations that we, are, that we are in in our lives, the opportunities that are difficult that we face are for the glory of God. And here's what I want to say. Don't wait for your miracle to happen. Start testifying about the miracle worker now. Don't wait until the healing comes. Start testifying about him now. And, and listen, I, I don't want you to get it twisted because there are some people that will talk about the healer and he will not heal them, but he is going to walk through them, through the situation. There are some people who will testify about something and God may not do that thing for them. It does not change who he is. 
We have to be faithful to communicate and believe that he is because you know what? I, had a, I heard about a preacher one day. He was over here and he was ministering in a conference and he was praying. He called people up to the front for healing. The dude was dog sick. He's over here sneezing, <laughs> praying for people, and he's sneezing and people are getting healed. Now listen, why do I say that? Because, wait, why didn't God heal him? I don't know why God didn't heal him, but God is still the healer. And what he said was, it doesn't matter how I feel, I believe God is who he is. And I'm going to believe by faith that no matter what my situation is, he is who he is. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must remember opposition is only another opportunity for God's glory. Read with me from verses 20 to verse 30. This is speaking of Paul after he got saved. It says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? These people were just confused. They're like, wasn't this guy coming in here to, like, kill us, arrest us? Now he's preaching our message. Verse 22 says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who were dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. <laughs> Glory to God. He gets saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's experiencing God. He's preaching the gospel. He's proving who Jesus is. He's saying that's what this scripture means. That's what this scripture was pointing to. That's what this prophecy is about. He is doing all of those things, amazing and wonderful. And all of a sudden, those people that loved him so much, that were cheering for him so much, now they're like, oh, we got to kill him. We got to kill him. We need to silence him. We need to silence the message that he's communicating. And so there seems to be this pressure. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in the large basket. So first of all, Paul has issues with the Jewish community now. He's been preaching the gospel. They don't want to hear it. They want to kill him. The disciples help him get down. Verse 26, it says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, now he goes to the, Christian, the, the, the headquarters of Christianity at that time. He tried to join the disciples. And I want you to understand what it says he tried to join the disciples. We may think like he walked in and tried to join up one time. No, this word is a continual word. He continued to try to join them. He was continuing to try to get connected with them. He was continuing to try to do that. But they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. What they were thinking was, man, this guy, he learned our message. He's preaching. This is some kind of trick. He's going to get us out of the church, and he's going to kill us all. He's going to lead us all into something. They, they were afraid of him, and so they didn't want to hear anything. And he says, but Barnabas, y'all remember Barnabas from a couple chapters ago. He was selling everything. He was a son of encouragement. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. What a, what a ministry. Hallelujah. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. What we need to do, what we need, and, and, and this, this is my prayer. My prayer is that we would become those people that are unashamed, passionate, bold witnesses for the gospel in our days. 
We need more of those people that are unashamed of the gospel, that are unashamed of their Christian faith, that are unashamed of who Jesus is in our day. Because what's happening right now, I love this, Ed Stetzer, he's a, he's, he's a missiologist, he's a statistician, and he, and, and, and he is talking about the church. And one of the things that he said that I thought was so powerful, he said, a lot of people are saying that Christianity is dying today. That's what they're saying in our nation. They are saying, they're communicating. If you read about it, you know, you look in, in, in media, and they'll say, Christianity's dying. They'll talk about how, you know, churches, you know, are, are, are decreasing in attendance and all of these different things that are occurring, supposedly. But here's what I want you to understand that Ed Stetzer said. And see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a younger guy, and so this wasn't necessarily what was going on in my time. This was changing around the time that I was a teenager. But see, back in the days, you know, maybe 30 years ago, you know, something like that, if you were not a Christian, you were a bad person. If you didn't go to church, you were a bad person. So church was a socially acceptable thing. So everybody went to church because they didn't want to be categorized. And if they didn't go to church, you know, they, 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 they were going to be categorized as being a bad person. Well, nowadays what is happening is you don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what is happening, it is not that Christianity is dying. It is that God is defining what a Christian really is. Because now it's not about this social Christianity that I come, I become a member of a church, I give some money, and I'm good to go. No, it's about are you really walking with Jesus? Are you really walking with him? Are you really serving him? Are you really following him? And what we need to do is we need to embrace that. Because right now, if you, I mean, you, you, you have got to be blind if you will sit there and be like, man, there's no hostility towards Christianity right now. There's no hostility. People just love them some Christians. Hello, somebody. Listen, I mean, let, 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 let's just be real. We're the ones that are standing against things that people want to stand for. I mean, are, are we not? Because we stand for what the Bible teaches. And so we are looked at as the bad guy. We look at the ones that are bigots. We look like we're the ones that have issues. No, wait a second. Time out. What we need to do is embrace that and say, I don't need to stop talking about Jesus. I need to be more clear in my communication about Jesus in this very hour. See, because what happens to us when someone wants to kill us and in the proverbial sense, they want to silence us, we begin to think, Am I, is, is my message wrong? Hold on a second. Is what I'm saying incorrect? Maybe that's why they're offended. Maybe that's why they're bothered by us Christians, because our message. I talked to Pastor Robert today. You know, we're, we're, we're transitioning, and I talked to Pastor Chad. And, and as, we're, you know, as we're growing and transitioning, you know, with the, with the, with the, um, the communion stuff, you know, different things happen, right? And so last Sunday, you know, I always listen to, you know, what the pastors communicate and how they communicate to the church. And so what happened is last week, they, you know, Pastor Chad, you know, he was having some voice issues. And so he, to me, he came across kind of rough, right? You can say, man, it's all right. Because you were like, yeah, it was a little rough, you know, last week. He was like, I don't want your money. But anyway. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> Pastor Robert's up here during communion. Half the church is visitors. They all sat down on him. He's like, everybody stand up. I'm like, Pastor, 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 hold on, hold on a second. And what it was is that we didn't, you know, and then we had some conversation. I'm like, look, you know, let's just. But here's what happened. We had all of these people that I knew they were first-time guests. And so I was extra sensitive to what we were saying. And I was like, man, maybe we could be a little bit more tactful. Don't change the message. Don't change the message. Just be more tactful in the way you communicate it. 
Let me offend them with the cross, amen? Let me be the mean one. But here's the thing. Tell them, y'all are sinners, man. We're going, and you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. This is what should happen. The offense should be the cross. But here's what you and I have to understand. The world does not want to hear the gospel. They don't. Some of you don't want to hear the gospel. Some of you are like, man, Bishop hasn't called me a sinner. Yes, I'm getting there. <laughs> he hasn't called me a sinner today. Listen, I'm telling you right now, the gospel is offensive because the gospel says I can't save myself. The gospel says you cannot live the way you want to live and get to heaven. The gospel says that even if you do every single thing that you think is right and you think is necessary, it falls below the standards of God. Therefore, you are in trouble. We went through the lying test, the cheating test. We went through that whole test, and we understood we're all sinners. And because of that, what happens? We are separated from God. And what is happening in our day is that people want to legalize sin. That is what is happening. They want to legalize sin. You, as a Christian, you're going to sit back and be like, mm, I don't know anything. Why not? Why would you not communicate? Why would you not say sin is sin? It would only be because you're a coward. That would be the only reason why you would do that. Or you're confused. And so some of you, I'm not a coward, Bishop, but you're confused. Because I know some of you, you're definitely not cowards. You're just a little confused. But really, ah. <laughs> what should I be saying? We are people of truth. We are people of truth. And you know what? People don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear that those behaviors, those actions, and I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about all of it. Those behaviors are sinful. But there's a solution to sin. It's faith in Jesus. It's turning away from those sin. It's acknowledging Jesus died for those sins. It's putting your faith in him. They don't want to hear that. And so what happens is hatred begins to rise up. And then we start to think is, do I need to change? No, the message needs to remain the same. Your love needs to grow, but you continue forward. You see, because in this situation, here's what happened. They, they wanted to kill Paul, and Paul could easily said, man, am I doing the right thing? These are my Jewish people. These are the people that I love. These are my family. These are my friends. They're hating me, though. They want to kill me. Maybe my message is wrong. That isn't what happened. Paul grew stronger. He understood the truth of the gospel, and he continued to preach that gospel. God uses persecution and opposition to the gospel and his messengers as an opportunity to confirm who we are, not to discourage us. Hear what I just said? He uses the gospel. He uses what we are communicating. And the persecution that comes when people start to hate you, listen, you're in good company if they're hating you because you're preaching the gospel. If they hate you because you're a jerk, repent. I'm saying, jerk, gospel, repent, rejoice, All right? I'm a jerk. Okay, so repent. You don't need to be a jerk. You can be loving and be like, man, that is wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just, that's just sinful. I can't agree with that. You don't have to debate. Listen, I'm not telling you to get up and start debating. Don't go on Facebook and start going crazy. And I'm not, that's not what I'm telling you. Let me do that. But <laughs> listen, what I'm saying is, God uses that to confirm you're, you're going in the right direction. 
They're hating you, that's okay. They're not liking the message, that's okay. Doesn't, it doesn't mean they don't need it. And so what that should motivate us to do is to pray more. Last thing that I'll say about this is the greatest manifestation of who Jesus is comes when his people are walking in unity. Persecution has the power to unify us like no other force if the gospel is our focus. When hardship comes, you know what we start to do? We start to let all of those things that really don't matter, let those things lie by the side. Because you know what? We need to make sure that we're staying true to the gospel. We are staying true to who Jesus is. We let all of those other, all of those other things that divide us now, when, listen, when, when, when people, I'm going to say it like this, when people start losing their life for the sake of the gospel in the United States of America, I know you're like, that's never going to happen. It will. When people start losing their life, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have a whole lot more unity and a lot less division. Christians are going to get along a lot better than ever before because we will need one another. I don't care if you're Presbyterian, Baptist, AME. I don't care what you are, non-denominational. We're going to get along. Why? Because our lives, <laughs> there'll be less of them. <laughs> That's one reason for sure. But even the ones that are hardcore this, hardcore that, you know what they're going to say? All that stuff doesn't matter. Jesus is what matters. And we matter and we need to love one another. So here's my question for you and I'm closing right now. What impossibility are you facing? What impossibility are you facing and have you fully entrusted it to God? What impossibility, what, what difficult situation is it that you are facing? What are you going through? What are you facing? Have you put it in God's hands? Maybe you're dealing with a family member. They just don't know Jesus, going through some hardship there. Maybe you're praying for an impossible situation with coworkers, your job. I don't know what, but, but what impossible situation are you facing? Have you entrusted it to God fully? Because he wants to empower you today. He wants to give you the grace in order to get through whatever it is you're going through. And the reason why you can trust that he will and he is able is because the gospel shows us God's ability. The resurrection gives us a hope that nothing else can give us. God is able. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? Stand to your feet, please. Bow your heads. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus, you are definitely in an impossible place. If Jesus is not Savior, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you're in an impossible place. By yourself, it's impossible. But with Jesus, it is not. The question is, will you put your faith in him today? Will you trust him today? Will you trust him as Lord? Will you trust him as Savior? Will you trust him as God? If you're in this place, you don't know him, and you say, I need him. I need him today. I just want you to slip your hand up here. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Grab your neighbor's hand, please, and we're going to pray for one another in this place. And what I want you to do, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through, but if you are facing an impossible situation, I just want you to squeeze your neighbor's hand, please, so they will know that, they're, 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 that you are asking them to pray for you. Squeeze their hand next to you, and if you felt somebody squeeze your hand, then I want you to be that point of contact in their life right now. I want you to be that point of contact in their life right now. I want you to be that person who prays as I pray this general prayer that you would intercede for them in this place. Father, I thank you so much, God, for each person that is here in this house today. Each of my brothers and sisters, Lord God, I thank you for every guest that is with us. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the very privilege and opportunity that I have to share your word with them, dear God. And Heavenly Father, I know that we all are facing different situations, dear God. Some of us are facing situations with our spouses. Some of us are facing situations with our children. Some of us are facing situations, Lord God, with different people, dear God, that different things that are going on. Some of us are facing impossible situations with our finances, with our work situations. But God, you are the one. You are the one who is the resurrection and the life, my God. And Father, today, Lord God, we unify with our brothers and sisters in this house. And Lord God, we we believe you for the impossible, my God. Father, I pray for those marriages that are going through hardship. My God, I pray today for your miraculous hand to be upon those marriages, my God. I pray for repentant heart. I pray for restoration. I pray for unity and love, my God. Father, I pray for those that are battling, Lord God, with illness and sickness, my God. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And so, God, we pray that you would stretch your hand upon them right now, my God, that you would bring healing that. Lord God, if they're sick in here right now that healing would take place. Father God, if they're at home sick, my God, that your hand would be stretched forward upon them and that as we arrive to them, Lord, that we would see the testimony of God who brought healing to their lives at this very hour, my God. Father, I pray for those financial situations. Dear God, you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. You provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And so today I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven, Lord God, that you would pour out your blessing, dear God, that you would reveal yourself as a provider that you are. I pray against every plan of the wicked one against the lives of my brothers and my sisters, my God. Father, we pray for those impossible situations, Lord God. Those family members, Lord God. Those brothers, sisters, cousins. Lord God, those spouses that don't know you today, oh God. Father, we ask you that you would reveal yourself unto them. That your voice would be heard by them. Lord God, that they would turn from their sin and put their faith in you today. Lord God, God, that they would be reconciled and restored unto a relationship with you and that your glory would be revealed in them, God. Father, we pray today against every mindset that would hinder us from trusting you to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. God, we trust you and we thank you so, so very much. We give you all glory and we give you all honor.